right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were dealing with the issue of Jesus is speaking to the people because the people, again, let's, let's just do a little slight rehearsal. The people, Jesus did the miracle of the loaves. The people came next day looking for Jesus to perform that miracle again. They wanted Jesus to satisfy their belly. Jesus wanted to move the people from their natural expectations and desire of him. That is to feed them once again, to supply their carnal, their physical needs. He wanted to move them to the spiritual understanding of who he was. That is, by the miracle of the loaves, they should be able to see that he is unlike any other man they've ever seen before, for he has done the things that only God can do. And this is the very nature of John's gospel. Remember, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, and the word was God. What happened? Verse 14, that word, God, became flesh. Jesus, which is the reason why John chose the specific miracles that he chose in his gospel, Jesus did the things that only God can do. But nevertheless, in this whole issue, in the performing of this particular miracle, Jesus wanted the people to understand that they need to come to him, that they should come to him for the satisfaction of their spiritual needs. That is for eternal life. Don't come to him for bread that he could give you for such bread like that bread of, that Moses gave, which was the example that the people gave. Such a bread you eat and you die. Seek him. And that's the idea, that spiritual idea, that spiritual overtone that the Lord is giving. Seek him for the bread that yields eternal life. And what is that bread? himself that the son of man will give. What is that bread? His body on the cross. And then he began to open and speak of his blood. But the point is, so the people got angry with Jesus. They began to grumble, mumber among them, mummer amongst themselves. Number one, and here's the principal idea, two of them, that Jesus spoke of his divine origin. That is, he came down from heaven. And so they began to mumble amongst themselves because they thought they knew of his origin, his father and his mother. And then Jesus elevated the conversation and began to <clears throat> and began to speak on what? That bread, remember the whole issue is about the bread, calling himself the bread of life. Then he began to say in that elevation, unless you eat his body, for his body, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that man must eat in order to get life. And except you eat of my body and drink of my blood, and that's the elevation, you have no life in you. So with this, the people almost went into a fury when Jesus began to say to eat his body and to drink his blood. Now, the reason why, of course, because it seems to be the language of cannibalism to the which, of course, the Jews are forbidden to eat human flesh and drink human blood. But we know that Jesus was speaking in terms, in spiritual terms, and that is to have faith. Have faith in what? Eating of the body in Jesus's offering of his body on the cross for sin and the shedding of his blood for sin. For in doing so, 
Jesus receives in himself the judgment of God, the penalty for sin in himself on behalf of those who eat and drink, that is, who have faith in the atoning work of Jesus himself. But nevertheless, the people still couldn't quite deal with these things and they had a serious problem with it. Okay, so enough of that. So now let's continue on into our final section. And it should be relatively short, I believe, but let's just finish out chapter six. So it is with that background of eating the flesh of the Lord and drinking his blood. That's what he is saying here. And we understand again what these are statements of faith in from the perspective of Jesus at the time, that future atoning work that he will accomplish on the cross by his voluntary submission unto death. Okay, and, I'm, and I said that in a slow way because I want you to understand the importance of those words. Voluntary submission of the giving of his body as an offering for sin. No man took his life. Jesus gave it up. All right, but anyway, so with these difficulties, we now complete the chapter as Jesus begins to focus his attention, not so much as the common people as a whole, because you got to remember there, you kind of divide the crowd per se into two groups. That is the group who are now looking to Jesus to do the miracle, to repeat the miracle of the loaves and literally feed them again, as well as those group of the disciples, those that that visible group of people who were following Jesus with the expressed belief that is, we believe that he is the Messiah. Now, notice what I said again, that visible group of people, if you looked at and if you listen to those people who were following Jesus, simply saying, well, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah and blah, 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 and tweet, tweet, tweet. And then that other group who's coming out simply in a self-serving sense of being fed again. OK, but we're going to talk more about that as we get into the text. So what we want you to understand here is the attention as we move to the end of this chapter <clears throat> is going to be upon that visible group of people who are following Jesus and who will be called his disciples. And that's where the attention is about to go at this time. Okay, so without being premature, let's just get into the text. Verse 59 and verse 59 actually ends the section of bread of life and drinking and eating of the flesh a drinking of the blood of Jesus, that bread of life segment. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Okay, so the idea in verse number 59, let's just talk about that. This issue of bread of life, eating of the flesh, drinking of the blood, and these issues that we have just dealt with previously, this was not a one-time teaching of Jesus. This was a continual teaching of Jesus in the synagogues in Capernaum. And we find that to be interesting. So this is not just something that simply happened at this uh, day after the feeding of the 5,000. This was something that Jesus would continue to say, urging the people to have faith in him, 
trying to make them understand of his atoning work and the necessity of believing in that atoning work. That is death on the cross. That is blood of the Messiah that would be shed for sin. Okay. But anyway, so this is a continual teaching. Now let's continue on verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. Okay, so now here's where we get into this section where I was telling you. Remember, you got the crowds coming to Jesus, feed me, feed me. And then you have the disciples, the group of people that are following Jesus. Believing, that is, believing per se, believing what? Per se, that he is the Messiah. But now, what you have to understand about the word that is used here, for disciples is used in the generic sense. In other words, okay, always in context, always what in context, because what you're going to find is you're going to find there are going to be two, there are going to be two uh, divisions in this so-called group of disciples. That would be the disciples as a whole, that general group of people that are following Jesus and there will be the notation of the 12. And we're going to see that explicitly as we work through the text. The 12, that is the 12 men who were chosen by Jesus himself. Okay, so there is the general group of the disciples and the 12. So here we have no doubt the general group as a whole is being referenced. Okay, so what? These are those disciples of Jesus, that group that are following Jesus who say, well, we believe that you are the Messiah. This is what can be understand. Okay, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to break it down for you. Uh, I, maybe I may be being a little premature, but fine, you'll get it all as we work through it. This is what can be understood as what is called the visible church, the visible church. What do I mean? The church is the body of called out believers. That is the true church. Those who have truly been elected, those who truly have faith, abiding faith in Jesus as the Messiah, those who truly believe that he is son of God, divine being, son of man, a human being who gave his life for ransom for our sins so that we might be saved. Those who truly believe and are saved, the elect of God. So the visible church includes the true believers as well as those who simply profess faith in Jesus, but indeed they are not really saved, but they say that they are saved. In other words, sometimes people may use uh, strong terms and calling them hypocrites or even false believers or whatever. Yes, those terms can indeed apply, but it simply is simply saying what in a church, the visible church, say, for instance, when you go to church on Sunday or whenever you go to church, 
Everyone in that so-called community is not truly saved. God knows those ones who are indeed his, but the rest say simply have a profession of salvation, but they are not really saved. This is what I mean when I say the visible church. The visible church consists of true, genuine believers and then the others who are simply professors, that is professing that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but really they are not saved. Okay, that that's what's mean by the visible church, true believers and those who are just in the group, but not really saved. This is the same idea that is being put forth here when it talks about the disciples of Jesus. There are those in this group who are really genuine believers. And we're going to see that we're going to see that. And there are those who are not true believers. And this is what we're going to deal with. So what happens? The bread of life, eating the flesh, drinking the blood is not perceived, is not really understood by all of those who are following after Jesus. Remember saying, we believe that he's the Messiah. This general group, as I've been explaining it, they have difficulty what Jesus has just been teaching about himself being the one who came down from heaven, as well as this bread of life teaching eating of him and drinking his blood. So they have difficulty in this. And so therefore they're saying, I, I don't know how to handle what Jesus has just said. And so Jesus is now aware that the disciples of his are having difficulty with what he just said. So he addresses it. So again, now it speaks of Jesus exercising a part of that divine nature, that is having knowledge of what men are thinking without them saying so. That's why it said he was conscious that they were grumbling at this. He knew within himself that they were having a problem. So he said, does this cause you to stumble? Now, when you hear the idea of stumbling, that means does this uh, cause you problems in a sense? But the context is the stumbling that they are now beginning to have is in the person of Jesus. Remember the whole idea. Jesus is declaring his person. He is declaring himself to be what? The son of God. And don't ever forget that. He is not moving down, backing down, as we have been discussing in the gospel of John, that he is God from heaven. He doesn't back down from that. He is not also backing down from dealing with his humanity. He is not backing down of the necessity for them to do what? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And we already know these are metaphorical usages of the Lord's uh, 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 meaning of believing in his future atoning. He's not backing down from these things. He's holding strong to them. But he understands that they are beginning to doubt. They are beginning to disbelieve. They are beginning to question whether or not, you know, we were following this Jesus of Nazareth. We were seeing all of the works that he was doing. But, you know, he's beginning to say some things that we just can't stomach. We can't receive these things. It's 
eating my flesh and drinking my blood. We, we, we are Jews. We, we, we can't deal with this. And so Jesus, knowing that they are beginning to question their own beliefs, uh, is he really the Messiah? And if he is the Messiah, would the Messiah be speaking like this? So Jesus says, it's what I'm saying to you, causing you to question your faith. So now Jesus sets forth to them a what if, what happens, what then, verse number 62, he says, if you see the son of man ascending to where he was before. Now, let me just take my time and not get really excited about it, but I'm going to try to keep it short. If you see the son of man, again, Jesus uses the title, the son of man, but ascend to where he was before. Let's deal with that. Remember the, the whole argument is what Jesus said. I have come down from heaven that supernatural origin of Jesus. And remember what the people were saying? We know of your origin. Why? We know your father, supposedly, and we know your mother. But Jesus insisted his origin was not from of the earth, simply of the father, Joseph, and the mother. But Jesus says, ultimately, I existed before that. I came down from heaven. That is the language of the divine origin of Jesus. He is God who has come down from heaven. So they have a problem with the origin. Okay. So the, one of the first things that Jesus addresses here to his disciples who were beginning to question uh, uh, whether or not Jesus is indeed the Messiah, Jesus used the terminology, the son of man. What then if you see the son of man ascending to where he was before? I said to you that I came down from heaven. Well, what if you actually saw me go back to where I came from? See, you have a problem. You're beginning to have a problem. What? That I said I came down from heaven. What if then? What if you actually saw me go back to heaven where I was before? Then do you believe that I actually came down from heaven? Then do you believe that I existed before the womb of Mary? Do you believe that I am God who has descended in human form in the womb of Mary and I am now presenting myself to you in human form, son of man? Do you believe then that I actually came from heaven. So that's one of the things that he addresses. But uh, and, and remember, son of man, also what? The language of humanity. But also what cannot be avoided here is the very uh, uh, picture that Jesus is giving you. The ascension into heaven alludes to Daniel chapter seven, the son of man who was already in heaven. Okay. And I don't have time to get into it. I don't want to get into all of the details. But in Daniel chapter 7, you see there is one who is presented before the Father in heaven. One who, what does Daniel say, is like a son of man presented before the Father who is given power and dominion over all of the nations. The very idea of one who is given power and dominion over all of the nations is such a one is the Messiah. 
and the Jews recognized that this particular one was indeed the Messiah. Why? For one day the Messiah would come and he would rule over the whole world. This is the messianic expectation of the Jews. But what is also interesting to see in this text is this son of man was existing in heaven. He was existing in heaven before he was given the dominion over all of the earth. So his pre-existence is spoken of in Daniel chapter seven. And what does such a son of man do? He comes to the earth and he rules and reigns. Jesus came to the earth through the womb of Mary. And notice what he is saying even here. What if you see such a one return back to where he comes from? I know I'm getting a little excited and I'm skipping a lot of things because this is not the essence of what we're talking about. I'm just trying to make the point. What happens in the book of Acts after Jesus's resurrection from the dead after the 40 days? Jesus did what? He took the people to a place. He took his disciples to a place where they could literally see him. And what happens? The heavens opened and received him once again. Jesus, in the sight of his disciples, ascended. He returned right back to where he came from. Notice what Jesus said. Would that help you? Would that solidify your faith? Would that help you to believe if you saw what? The language of Daniel chapter 7. Just like the son of man, this one who pre-existed came down. What would happen if you see the son of man go right back to where he came from again? Does that help you? Does that help you to believe? <laughs> but anyway, okay, let me calm down. Let's go back to the text. So all I want you to see was the clear implications, the clear alluding to Daniel chapter seven, the son of man, the preexistent, the one who should come down, that Messiah, you already believe such a one is the Messiah and that hope that will be fulfilled to rule over all of the earth. You already believe in this. What happens if you see him go right back to where he came from? Would that convince you of what? My divine origin. So Jesus trying to do what? Let, let's go back to our exegesis on the text. He is simply trying to help them in their unbelief. That's right. Because what are you beginning to stumble? Me saying what? I've come down from heaven and eat my flesh, drink my blood, those difficult things. Is this causing you to beginning to regret or doubt your faith in who I am, that I am the Messiah, son of God? Are you now disbelieving? Okay, let's continue. He says simply what? 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak are spirit and are life. The very nature of his words are life giving. The very nature of his words are spirit. They energize. They are regenerative. That is, Jesus is saying, it's not so much in the natural sense in which I am speaking. I am speaking in a spiritual sense. And that is with reflection to what? Eating my flesh and drinking my blood, right? Eating my flesh and drinking my blood. But he is still maintaining the necessity of such things. Even though I'm speaking in a spirit and life-giving way, that is spiritual, spiritual way, faith, believing in my atonement, 
believing in what my blood does and accomplishes for you. This is a spiritual manner in which I'm speaking, but nevertheless, the absolute necessity, the absolute necessity of believing these things, belief that my death on the cross provides life. My shedding of blood provides forgiveness for sins. It is absolutely necessary for you to believe in them for these words are spirit and life giving. So that's what Jesus is trying to say. So he's not backing down from that, but as he's trying to make them understand the meaning of his words and the intent of his words to give life. And again, as I've been uh, uh, emphasizing the absolute necessity of faith in what Jesus is trying to say, there is no salvation apart from the atoning of Jesus death on the cross, apart from the atoning work of Jesus and us having faith in this work, there is no salvation. They alone give life. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Okay. But anyway, so now let's move through the text. So what is going on here? Jesus is addressing his disciples, the group of people as a whole. Remember I told you about that division, like again, what, like in the church, true believers and those who are not true believers. And this is how the word disciples is being used. That whole group notice, but Verse number 64, that's what, now this is where we're going to see that point that I was just making. That is, slowing it down, disciples. How is John, in the gospel of John here, in this context, using the word disciples? He is using the word as the group, the visible group of people who are following Jesus. In that visible group, you have true believers and you have others who are not true believers, even though they're claiming to be true believers. Because notice, it starts off verse 60, many of his, what? Disciples. But now let's see what happens because of this hard saying that Jesus gave, okay, concerning those so-called disciples. Now, here's the full picture, 64. But there, here's the words of Jesus. But there are some of you, who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come unto me unless it has been granted him from the father. Okay. Beautiful thing. And as a result, what? Of this, as a result of this, many, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Okay, and I'm going to try to stay calm, but I want you to see this picture like daylight, vivid as a bright morning day. So what happened? They were struggling with what Jesus was saying. All of us, what the two things come from heaven and Jesus says, he answered that. But what if you see me return? And then struggling, what? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Jesus speaking in spiritual things, but the still the necessity of believing this, they were struggling with this. They are not receiving even what Jesus is saying. What happens? Verse number 64, Jesus continues to speak. 
There are some of you who do not believe. So let's stop. Notice this is the group of the disciples. What? Even amongst the disciples, they weren't believing. So what is John doing for us? Just because these people are following after Jesus, just because these people are confessing that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, John and Jesus is saying their faith is not genuine. You see, okay, to believe in Jesus as Messiah, as, as, Messiah, as we're talking about it here, is a belief unto salvation. That's the point. If you believe Jesus is Messiah, the idea is coming to him, he provides salvation. But what is the problem? They were saying that they believed Jesus was Messiah. They were following Jesus as if he was Messiah. But guess what Jesus actually knew? They really didn't believe even though they were professing. This is the same thing that we were saying to you concerning the visible church. And this is how the word disciples are here being used. These are not true, genuine disciples. This is just like the visible church. All the people who profess that they are believers and Christians, but this must be divided. Genuine believers, true elect believers from amongst those who are simply professing, but they are not genuine. So back to the text, Jesus knew some of them amongst those disciples did not genuinely believe in him. Notice why? Because as God, what? As God, Jesus knew from the very beginning, the people, they who did not believe, the people who were simply following Jesus, who was simply professing, I believe in him. I believe in you. I'm, but indeed, Jesus knew they were not him. They were not believers. We can even see this early in the chapters of John when Jesus performed those signs at this first at the first Passover, when Jesus revealed that he was the son of God. And Jesus, the Bible said through John, that Jesus did not give himself, yield himself to the people. Why? For he knew those who were genuine believers in the first place. Same thing here concerning these false disciples of Jesus. He knew the ones who did not believe, notice that's in the plural, who they, that's the plural, that's why I emphasized it in my reading of the text. He knew who they were, that is a number of the people, and we're going to see how great that number really is. Who they were who did not believe, he knew the false believers, the false professors, and now notice the singular, and he knew who it was that would betray him. That is, he knew who he was, the one who would betray him. That's actually the Greek text. It's a better translation. So he knew, number one, the people who did not have true, genuine faith, but they still call themselves disciples following after Jesus. And he also knew, speaking now to the one who would betray him, Judas. Jesus knew the genuine believers. And that's why the Paul, Apostle Paul said it this way. In a great house, 
There are many vessels in a great house, some unto good works, some that were clean, and some unto works that were profane, some unto not good works, unclean. And the Lord knows those who are his. Therefore, let all of those who proclaim the name of Jesus depart from iniquity. The whole point is... God knows when he looks at the body of believers and the, I'm sorry, the body of professors. Now that's the point. He knows when he looks at the body of all of those who are calling on the name of Jesus, God, Jesus knows the ones who indeed are saved and the ones who are not. Okay, enough preaching. So back to the text. What? the knowledge of the Lord. And here again, what? They were all called, what? Disciples. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard, see it? Jesus said, you're beginning to stumble. And now verse 65. Okay. That's why it's necessary. If you haven't looked at the teaching, uh, what is it? The election and security of the believer. That video is very, very necessary because again, Jesus is bringing back the point again about election. What? And I'm staying calm. They are not believing. Jesus said, what? You're stumbling. This has caused you to stumble. Again, verse 64, you do not believe. What is the idea of believing in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, this is the belief unto salvation. You're saved. You got it. If you're not believing in Jesus, if you are not believing in the person and the works of Jesus, the claims of Jesus, you cannot be saved. So notice the whole point is, why are you not believing? Jesus once again emphasizes that is John 6 Verses 36 through 41, I believe it is, 36 through 40, 41, go back and look at the video, the election. Election is what? Salvation. Those who are called of God unto salvation. Jesus now supplies again, emphatically here for us to understand it, 65. And so he was saying what? For this reason I have said to you, what is the reason that you made this statement? No one can come unto me unless it has been granted of the Father. You are stumbling. You are not believing. And me saying what? I have come down from heaven. Unless you eat the flesh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This, these things are causing you a problem because it is an evidence. What? When I say a cause and a problem, let me say it right. You are beginning to disbelieve. You are beginning to turn away. You do not believe. So you, you, you said you were my disciples, but clearly what? Some of you, verse 64, do not really believe. Why? You say, okay. okay. You say. It's because of what he's saying here. That's why I'm having a problem. It's because he said he came down from heaven. It's because he said, you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood. And I can't go with that. And I don't, I, I can't believe that anymore. 
I can't, you didn't hear me, y'all. I can't believe that anymore because he said these things. Jesus said, no, it is not because I said these things. Jesus said, for this reason, I said, what? You cannot come unto me except my father has granted it to you. It's not the words that I said. It's not the difficulty that you are having. And he's going to prove that in the, un the following text. It's not the things, the confusion that you are having, the reason why you do not believe. Jesus says it's simply because the father has not given you to me. I'm struggling, guys, with the preaching and my spirit wants to preach, but I know I need to explain the text exegetically. And that's the proper thing to do, because always remember, first comes exegetical explanation of the text in context. From that, you do your preaching. OK, and that's how it works all the time. Jesus is simply saying to them, you're not struggling because of the hard things. The true reason for you struggling is you are not given to me by my father. Again, the emphasis goes back to verse number 36 through 41. All that the father gives to me will come to me. This is the principle of election. Those whom the father gives to Jesus, the saints of God are a gift a gift of God the Father to Jesus. And notice what Jesus said. This is the principle of election. All that the Father gives to me, what will they do? Oh, they will come. There is no doubt. So this is the principle of election. Those who have believing faith in Jesus, remember to have faith in who Jesus is and what he has done, this grants salvation, salvation by faith in the works of Jesus alone. This saving faith in an individual happens because this individual is a gift from the Father. So those who have believing faith in Jesus, it simply evidences what? They have been given by the Father. All that the Father gives unto me. Notice the language that Jesus is using here. The reason why you are not believing, some of you do not believe. Why? Because I told you before. What did you tell us before? If you were given by the Father, you would come unto me and you would believe in me. The very evidence of your unbelief here, even here, the evidence of your unbelief simply lets us all know you were not given by my father, you were not granted from the father. And that whole word for granted here literally is from the Greek word ditto me, which means to give. You were not given to me from the father. You are not a gift of my father. So the idea is those who are saved have been pre have been elected 
given by the Father. It is not the will of the individual. It is the predetermined will of the Father to give such ones to Jesus. And again, what did Jesus lay out earlier? 36 through 40. That's why you got to keep up with that chapter, that particular teaching. If the Father has given you to Jesus, you will come. No doubt about it. And therefore, Jesus says what? And all that the Father give to me, I lose none of them. You have both election, the call of the Father, that is those whom God has opened their hearts to respond to the gospel of Jesus. They will come to Jesus and they will be saved. And Jesus said, I will lose none of them. Guarantee of eternal security. But let's close the context here. Jesus simply is just reiterating, providing an explanation here. What is the explanation he is providing? The reason for their stumbling context. Does this cause you to stumble? The reason for their unbelief context. Some of you do not believe. Why do they not believe? Answer verse 65. This reason I have been saying to you, no one can come unto me. You will not be able to believe. You will stumble. Why? Unless the father has given you to me unless the father has already determined that such a one should have faith and should believe. Now, let me say this for nothing. I've been saying it over and over again. Let me say it again. I guess it's time to preach. Nothing can separate the believer from the love of God. Nothing can separate the true believer from faith in Jesus. Neither heights nor depths, neither confusion, neither things that need to be clarified. For if the father has given you to Jesus, I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what happens in the church. I don't care how many fuss and fight. I don't care how many of the hypocrites you might see in the body of Christ. If you have been given to Jesus by God the Father, if you are a part of the elect group of people, if God has chosen you unto salvation, I don't care how many things in the Bible seem to be confusing. I don't care how many things in the Bible you might struggle with. You will never turn away from Jesus. And that's the point that we see here. What? These people are struggling with some of the words of Jesus. They're struggling with some of the things that he's saying. And so what happens? Look at verse number 66. Let me in. I'm going to preach it now. I don't care. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. That's an imperfect tense about the walking. Okay. My God, I want to preach it. That imperfect tense of walking and they, are translate, they translated it dead on the money. They did not walk with him anymore. But I thought they were disciples. Those who really believed in Jesus. But notice many of his what? Disciples. What did they do? Withdrew. What did it say in 64? They did not believe. And what did it finish saying in 66? They didn't fool with Jesus. No more. No more. Why? Because they were not getting, all of this is connected here. 
It's connected. What? You were not given to me from the father. And guess what? Sooner or later, they evidenced it in their lives. They just stopped following after Jesus. Now, that's the context literally here. All because of Jesus' claim of his origin and the eating and drinking bread of the flesh and the blood. They, they were through with him. They were through with him. Why? Because they just couldn't accept it. And Jesus said, you just can't accept it because you were not give, given by my father. For if you were given by my father and that demonstration is about to come, that demonstration is about to come in the following text. For if you were given by my father, even though these things may cause you cursed consternation, even though these things might confuse you, you would still come to me, even if it caused you problems. And see, the reason why this gets me, because I don't want to hear about people leaving the church for this, that, and the other, or people falling away from Christ because they see if Christian supposed to be really Christian, well, I just can't see this. I just can't believe this. Therefore, I just can't stay with this. It is the evidence you were not given by the father. It is the evidence that such a one were never the elect of God. Why? Only those who were chosen by God from eternity past can come to Jesus. And it uses the term dunatai, not able, not able. Dunatai simply means to be able, to have the power within themselves. No one has the power within themselves to come to Jesus except the Father draws them. So the reason why so many people in and out, just like these disciples that you see here, it becomes the evidence, just like Jesus says here, you were never given of the father. That's why such things cause you to stumble. That's why seeing things in the church cause you to stumble. You were never mine. You were never given of the father. Only those who have been elected from eternity past, according to the sovereign will of God the Father alone, comes to Jesus and remains with him. Those are the ones who indeed are saved. But back to the text, notice how the word disciples is used here as the visible body of those who were simply following Jesus. But what happened? A great number of those stopped following Jesus. A great number truly did not believe and they were through with Jesus from that day forward. They did not follow him anymore. So again, disciples used here in the same sense as visible church. Disciples, the group who simply profess Jesus, but are not true believers. Now that's what we see here. That's what we see here. These so-called disciples who didn't follow him, they professed him, but they weren't true. And they, and it evidenced in their lives when they came to difficulties, they were done with that. They were done with Jesus. But again, just like the church, true believers and also believers who are not genuine. Same idea here. Now we're going to deal with the sense of those who are indeed true disciples in, in, as a whole, as a whole, with one exception, as Jesus is going to tell us. 
So now the people are not following after Jesus anymore because of the difficult difficulties of what he's been teaching concerning himself. And Jesus has given explanation to why these people are not continuing with him. They weren't called by the father in the first place. So he continues on. And now Jesus turns his attention to the core of his disciples. That is the 12. And here's where the distinction is being drawn between the word disciples used for a number of people following after Jesus and specifically the 12. 67. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know. See, I'm, 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 I want to preach. And we have come to know what? That you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you? Man, y'all just don't know. But okay, it's time to do my job. I need to teach. Did I, not, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So now let's look at it. So, verse number 67. So, Actually, in verse number 27, when they translate so, it's actually the Greek word un, normally translated therefore, in a sense of because of this. So what actually is going on in the text, Jesus, all of those people, so-called disciples, who no longer, look at it, turn on the theater of your mind. Turn it on. The people were following Jesus and we're his disciples. All of a sudden, they come to some hard stuff that Jesus is saying. Now look at that great crowd that was once following him. And now they begin to walk away and they are leaving. And as the crowd is leaving, Jesus turns his attention to the 12, what we call the 12 apostles. He turns his attention to the 12 apostles now as he sees the crowd leaving. And now he asks them do you want to go too? Has what I said to you about myself, about my origins, what I said to you about the necessity of eating my flesh and drinking my blood. You see, the disciples, the 12, they, they didn't think this was an easy thing that Jesus said either about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The 12 would also think that this was repugnant. It would be repugnant to them too. Just like it was repugnant to the disciples, so-called, who walked away from Jesus, who were not believing in Jesus. It would have the same effect in a sense of, sense of being repugnant, that is. That's what I mean. To the 12. So Jesus, as he turns his attention to the 12, he says, so now have what I said turned you off so much that you want to leave too? So Jesus is responding to the leaving of the crowd as he looks at the 12 and saying, do you want to follow them and leave me too? Notice the response of Simon Peter and Simon Peter here speaks for the whole group. Oh my God. 
Can I just, I'm tired of fighting preaching. Do you want to leave me too? Is there something that you find so repugnant that you will leave me? Notice the response of the true believer. I don't care what I read in the Bible. I don't care what the Bible tells me to do. I don't care about sometimes there are things in the God's Bible that confuses me. I don't care about what I read in the Bible about sometimes there may be some things I don't per se like in the Bible. I don't per se like in the Bible. I find it hard. I, find, I have to say, Lord, you got to help me. And difficulty as a wife, you say to me, wives, be in submission to your husband, even as unto Christ. In all things, Ephesians chapter five, I find that hard. You telling me I have to hear this man. And even when Peter says, and even if he don't follow after the Lord, still to be in submission, I have a hard time with that, Lord Jesus. I have a hard time. The husband say, husband, love your wife. How should I love her? She no good. She talk back. She's difficult. She's rebellious. She doesn't have any respect for me. Even as Christ loved the church, no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherish his own flesh. Even so, let a man love his wife. I have a hard time loving that rebellious woman. I have a hard time, Jesus. But let me tell you something. I don't care how difficult I might find with certain parts of the scripture, certain aspects of it. I don't care. I will not leave my Lord. Why? Because it is the evidence that you have been given by God. It is an evidence that your election is sure. Your election is given of God himself. No true believer, no matter what difficulties they may find in the book, how they may struggle. And even in these struggles, we go to God and ask for strength. Jesus said, for without me, you're not able to do these things. No true believer will ever, under no circumstances, turn his back from Jesus. Okay, enough preaching, enough preaching. But I want y'all to get that part. What? Such a one called of God. As you see Peter, Peter and the group, they, they struggled with the things that Jesus was saying. They didn't have perfect understanding. We see that in the God. We clearly see that in the gospel with the disciples. They didn't have perfect understanding of the things of Jesus. And it was not until the Holy Spirit came upon them that their understanding actually developed as it should be. But notice something. When Jesus said to Peter, do you want to do the same thing that this crowd has done? Do you want to leave me too? Peter responded, notice, Lord. And here he responds with the address as unto God. He ain't saying no, sir. He's saying unto God, Lord. Notice, to whom, to whom shall we go? We have come to believe you're the Messiah. You're the only one sent from God. There is no one else. And don't you say that 
I have said it in my own prayers. I have said it in my own crying out to God. Sometimes the devil will come to you and try to get you to go back into the world. Sometimes the devil will come to you and try to get you to go back to doing the things that you used to do and living the life that you used to live and then to reassociate yourself with the people that you used to reassociate yourself with in that sinful world. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God that's inside of you begin to cry out unto God, Abba, Father, we ain't got nobody else to go to. I ain't got nowhere else to go. I ain't got nobody else to turn to. You are my God. Even from my mother's womb, you are my God. Called unto election, a gift from the Father. No one else to go to. With you, by the divine grace of God, I have come, and with you I will stay. To whom shall we go, Peter says. Why? You have the words of eternal life. We don't understand these words. But we know one thing, that the words that you speak, you just said, the words I speak are spirit and life. And Jesus, Peter says, speaking for the group, notice we, we, he speaks for the group. We believe that your words are just like you said, indeed life-giving. So therefore, whether we understand it or not, we believe it. And that is the position of the saints through the ages. And that should be your position, whether you understand it or not, whether you have difficulty with it or not. They are the words of life eternal. They give life. They refresh your spiritual life. And ultimately, they give words. They are the words to eternal life themselves, all based upon the person of Jesus. Okay. But Peter continues, verse number 69. Notice the perfect tense. We have believed and have come to know. Now, the reason why I emphasize the perfect tense of that is, perfect tense simply means, that's in the Greek, something done in the past with continuing result into the future. We have believed and have come to know through what you have been saying to us, through the things that we have seen. And right now, I can see right now that last lesson fresh on the mind of Peter. See, that's why it's included in John, Jesus walking on the water. That's why Jesus sent them on the boat. That's why he sent them on the other side when he himself stayed. That's why he came in the middle of the night walking on the water. And as we see in the gospel of Mark and in the gospel of Matthew, how he was received into the boat and how they called him and worshiped him as the son of God, Matthew. Indeed, you are the son of God. You are God's son. We can see now, Peter, what is he saying? We have believed, come to know through experience, through what you have done, through perception, what? You are the holy one of God. That's a title of divinity. You are what? That's the gospel of John. You are the Holy One of God. There is none like you. 
You are not simply a man. And we accept you, Lord Jesus, as son of man. But we also have come to know. That's why he says it that way. That's why we see in the confession of Peter, who do men say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, by the moving of God, says, you are the Messiah, but you're more than the Messiah. You are the son of God, the divine title, the divine title. Here again, Peter says what? You are the Holy one of God, the divine title. That's what even the demons understood him when Jesus would come to certain places. And there he's come to the area of the Gadara and a man full of demons come out. What do you want? We know who you are. Holy one of God. We know who you are. You're not just simply a man. So what is Peter saying? Bringing it down. Peter speaks for the group. And he says about notice that perfect tense. We ain't like that crowd who had this superficial belief. They believed for a while and then they stopped believing and turned away. Why? Because their faith, their belief was not genuine. But what we have believed in the past and we continue to believe. We have known in the past and we continue to know our relationship is abiding. What have we believed and what have we continued to believe? What have we known and we continue to know about you? You are God, holy one of God. True believers continue in faith and they never depart. And in their continuing in the faith, they evidence what? What did Jesus say? This is why I've been saying to you that no one can come unto me except my father should draw him. This is what it means. It is the evidence that the father has drawn you to the Lord. So what do we have here? We have the two groups. One is just simply professing those disciples who stayed with Jesus for a while. And when things got rough, they left. And then these other disciples who, even though they are confused, they refuse to leave Jesus. Why? Because they have been given by the father. And what do these disciples to do who refuse to leave Jesus? They say, we believe and we continue to believe. We have known and we continue to know who you are. Our trust abides and remains in you the sign and mark of a true believer, the sign and mark of one who has what? Truly been given by God the Father. Now notice verse number 70 as we bring this to a close. So Jesus responds to them saying, what? Did I, did I myself not choose you the 12? And I like that. So it's a list about the core believers, that 12. Did I myself not choose you? Now here, he used that word here. Uh, and this is in the middle tense, the Greek middle tense. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the Greek grammar. But then there's beauty in the Greek grammar. Did I not myself choose you? The middle tense, as it's being used here, means to do something for the benefit of yourself. To do something for yourself. To do something for the benefit of yourself. This speaks of, again, election. Election. As Jesus has chosen these men, not only 
himself, but for his benefit, for his benefit, he has chosen them. As it pertains to election, as it speaks to election, that is our salvation, such a thing has God done. God has chosen us himself. And it's not that it benefits God in the sense, but of his own will, by his own choosings. And so that's what it brings in. So we simply say in, um, in, in Greek grammar, it is the reflexive tense. It is a reflexive. So here there is a sense of benefit, but not so much benefiting of Jesus, but purposeful, purposeful in the action of it being done. You 12 have been chosen by me. I chose you. Okay. And the same sense in election in general, we have been chosen. Those who are genuinely, truly saved, we have been chosen by God. It is reflexive for himself, for himself, even for the son, a gift unto the son. But anyway, back to the text. Did I not choose you for myself, the 12 explicitly and notice, and yet one of you is a devil without making this a grand exposition in the sense of, for the purpose of election, Jesus chooses the 12 and also in the sense of knowledge. Okay. Notice it goes back again for Jesus knew from the beginning. Remember verse number 64 for Jesus knew from the beginning. What did Jesus know from the beginning? Those who did not believe he knew. He knew also the one who would betray him. So we're back to that issue again. I not chose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil. So he knew the one who did not believe. That is, even amongst the 12, there are 11 who believe unto Jesus for salvation. There are 11 who who were given to Jesus by the father. And there is the one who did not believe, even though Jesus chose him. There is the one who did not have faith. There was the one who was not given by the father. So it just simply narrows it down from the group and all of the disciples, those who were not who were simply disciples and didn't have true and genuine faith and ultimately left. They did not believe. It, that's the big group. And Jesus just narrowing the big group down from that whole group of disciples, the folks that left him, and now to that narrow group, the group of the 12, small group. And even, even amongst them, you have what? Elect and non-elect. Those who generally have faith because they have been given by the Father, the 11, to the one who does not have faith, who was not given by the Father, Judas, the non-elect. But nevertheless, notice that reflexive, let's go back again to that reflexive verbal tense that Jesus said, I chose you for myself. So here it is the statement since Jesus knew who those who were, who genuinely had faith in him, he knew those who were truly gifts from the father to him. He also knew that Judas did not have faith. He also knew that Judas was not given by the father, but yet he chose 
him. And that's why we bring in that idea of in that uh, middle tense of the verb reflects it chosen for a purpose. He knew Judas was not elect, but nevertheless, he chose Judas. Judas was a devil. He would be the one to betray Jesus. Why? He was chosen for that by Jesus. Jesus knew when he looked at Judas's face that Judas would one day betray him. He did not wait for the passage of time. He did not wait for the occurring of events to take place. He knew from the beginning the one who would betray him and he chose him for that purpose. Did I not choose all 12 of you? I chose all of you. And I knew 11 of you were given to me by my father. And I also at the same time chose one of you for the purpose of one who would betray me. And we already know this so that the scripture would be fulfilled, that he would be that be killed and he would be betrayed. One who eats my bread sits at my table has lifted up his heel against me. One whom I even call my friend. But he, but the whole point, let's finish it out. So we ended up at verse number 71. Jesus talks about what they identified that it would be Judas, the son of Simon. Simon is scared. Judas is Simon is one of the 12 who was going to betray Jesus. Okay, we're done with this. Thank you for joining me in chapter six. So what do we have? We now conclude with the issues, the principal issues that we do see. There are two principal issues that we do see. The principle of election. What is election? Those who are called of the Father. Those who are called of the Father to have faith in Jesus. And those who have this faith in Jesus who have been called of the Father are gift to his Son. They will come to Jesus. No doubt about it. All that the Father gives unto me will come. Election salvation. It is the will of God for certain ones to believe in Jesus and be saved. Will they ever lose their salvation? Can they ever lose their salvation? And all the ones that the father has given unto me, I lose none. Why? This is the will. This is the plan of God that all that he gives to me, I lose none of them, but resurrect them on the last day. This is the principle of eternal security. Then what happened? Jesus talks about this bread of life thing. Then he moves, he escalates his preaching to eating my flesh, drinking my blood. At first it was just simply grumbling and Jesus said he came down from heaven. Then it almost broke out to be a fight when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And all of a sudden, what? Some of that so-called group who were believing that Jesus was the Messiah. All of a sudden, these things began to be difficult for them to accept. Jesus knew this is causing him to stumble. He said, OK, fine. What if you see me go to heaven? The origin that I said I came from. What do you see? What would you say if I went back? Then again, he said, the words that I speak are spirit and life giving. But the reason why you are stumbling is simply because you are not a gift from the father. God has not elected you unto salvation that you might believe in me. And what happened? The evidence of their non-elect status 
They left. And what did John say? They never followed him. Can I say it this way? No more. They didn't follow Jesus no more. Anymore. But no more. I like to say it that way. And what happened? We now see the true elect of God in the 12, or should I even say 11 of the 12. We see the true election. Nothing can separate those who have really been given from the Father. No matter the difficulties, no matter the confusion, no matter what we may say happens in the church and happens with other folk, nothing can turn those who have indeed been given by the Father. The true elect, he turns and says to the 12, will you go? And Peter says, no, sir, for there is no one else to turn to. We have come to believe and we have come to know. We've been believing. We have knowing no one like you. You indeed are the Holy One of God. Despite the confusions that we may have, we will not turn away from you. Evidence of the true elect. They never depart from believing faith that Jesus is the Messiah, son of God. Never, ever, ever. For if you turn away for any reason, Jesus simply says, this is this reason why I said to you, you were not called of my father. And then he finally finishes off. But even amongst those in the small group of the 12, Jesus for his own purposes called 11 and then he called one in particular, Judas, to use him, one appointed, one appointed to betray him. Okay, guys, enough preaching for today. I enjoyed that. And I did want to do some preaching in that because it's necessary because we always hear about all of this talk about people turning away from Jesus and this talk about backsliding and all of this and the things that I used to believe concerning the Bible and Jesus in the sense of falling away from faith people say I don't believe that no more and maybe I've gone to another religion or this and this and this and that simple answer simple answer given by the mouth of Jesus did it not say unto you for this reason I've been saying to you you were not given of my father so thanks guys for joining me with that I hope your soul was blessed. And if you can say, uh, I was blessed by this teaching. Thank you. And if you want to say, if God touches your heart, you say, I want to respond to say thank you. The Bible teaches that true love and response is always in a deed. Is always in a deed. And if God blesses your heart to bless this ministry so that I may continue to bring you these lessons. There is in the description, in the description, there's a link where you can uh, click on that link and support this ministry. And I am asking you to come alongside of me to support this ministry, to enable me to continue to bring you these uh, exegetical, didactic, word-for-word -word teachings in the Word of God. Precept upon precept, principle upon principle. Help me to... Come alongside with me. Keep bringing you these teachings and to support this ministry. But anyway, enough of all of that. Join me next time as we continue in the teaching of John and we move into chapter 7 as Jesus continues to enlighten in the I am statements in the teachings of John. Jesus, the Son of God. See you next time.